Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. Well, welcome back to another episode of Puzzling Company. It is your host, Zach, and always with me is... It's Jared. Jared, how are you doing today? Well, you may be wondering why you didn't get an episode of Puzzling Company last week. We're actually doing two in the same week, and that's because I was sick. Usually when I'm sick, that's not a big deal for us. We made it through COVID this way. I would record at home. But Zach and I never planned for the fact that one of us would lose their voice. Yeah. You getting, uh, what was it, the cold and then losing your voice definitely stopped uh, our recording process. (laughs) I was ready for your solo album to drop. I've been working on it. I'm excited. (laughs) Um, But we're here back in the Deadbolt Mystery Society studio. And this week, we are going to be covering the Unlock Finally, adventures. Yes. We've been waiting a really long time. Zach and I are really big fans of Unlock. It's probably the game that we've played for the over the longest period of time, if you count them as a series. Yes. And we finally got to get in touch with the creator of one of the games and sit down with them. So this is just a very exciting episode for us. But Zach is correct. We're only talking heroic adventures, which is, I believe, is the fifth set in the series. Mm-hmm. If you've never played Unlock before, they didn't always do this way, but they released them three games at a time now. Yeah. So Zach, what are the three games that were inside of uh, Heroic? Yeah. So the three that are in Heroic Adventures is Insert Coin, Sherlock Holmes, The Scarlet Thread of Murder, and the final one is In Pursuit of the White Rabbit. Oh yeah, baby. Let's be real. None of these themes or stories are really like breaking the mold, in my opinion. I mean, one's literally video game arcade, one is Sherlock Holmes, and the other is <laughs> so, Alice in Wonderland. Like, but I'm okay with a good classic. Yeah. Right? So that's what we're going to be talking today. Hang around with us. We'll be right back. Jared, can I be honest with you? Yeah, man. You tell me anything. I had a really weird dream last night. Oh, no. Was this the one where the Muppet was puppeting you? No. This one, it wasn't that. This one, I was stuck in the middle of the ocean on like a platform. Oh, you know, that actually reminds me of a new game by Post Curious called Adrift. It's a, a new puzzle tale all about dream interpretation. Wait a minute. I, I'm telling you about my weird dream and you're doing an ad for Post Curious? Well, ad is a strong word. I'm, I'm merely telling you that soon there will be a new Post Curious game. And that if you were interested in that, that you should actually go to getpostcurious.com and sign up for their newsletter. The reason being, Zach, is I don't want this to turn into a nightmare for you. This isn't coming to Kickstarter. They're only going to fulfill orders that they have pre-orders for. Can you imagine not getting this game? It'd be really sad. Yeah. So... Again, head over to getpostcurious.com, sign up for their email list, get notified when this game comes out, and get ready to enjoy it. I even had a dream that this was just a prequel to their next big game. You've sold me on the game, but you've also sold me I'm never telling you about my dreams again. Well, welcome back from that amazing ad. If you haven't played a Post Curious game, you totally should. Hint, hint, we may have an upcoming episode about a current post curious game Ooh, nice i bet you can't guess which one i yeah i have no idea i'm totally not looking at it currently (laughs) 
But uh, we are back here in the Deadbolt Mystery Society studio today. And we're in the section of the show where we get to talk about the games that we're covering. So we're going to be talking about the three Unlock games from Unlock Heroic Adventures, which is Insert Coin, Sherlock Holmes, The Scarlet Thread of Murder, and In Pursuit of the White Rabbit. This is going to be a section where we get to talk about the things we we liked about the games, what we thought was really worked well in them. Um, we talk about the room for improvements, not to dog the games or say anything bad about them. It's more that, you know, just like everyone, we want the games to keep getting better. And it's kind of just a part where we get to say our piece on it, you know? Absolutely. Zach, do you mind if I wax poetically about what an unlocked game is? Maybe for those of us who haven't played one. I'll allow you to. Oh, you're so kind. Such a gentleman. So for those of you who have never played an unlocked game, this is actually one of the older, I say that like six, seven years-ish, these games have been out, but they are card-based game. And the cards work in tandem with a really great app that you'll hear us talk about on the episode today. It is time-based for the most part. They do some really unique things, but everything is using cards in tandem to move forward, to input answers, and to eventually win the game. Each game, again, there's three per box is how they sell, and they weren't always sold that way, but that's how they sell now. Usually about an hour's worth of adventure. Mm -hmm. The other interesting thing that Unlock really does, and I'm pretty sure they stick pretty regularly to this, is in each game they give you an easy, medium, and difficult game. Yeah, And that's how we're going to attack our review of them today is Insert Coin was the one of three locks, Scarlet Thread was the two, White Rabbit was the three, so we're going to talk about them in order, giving you really our just our one like and our one real room for improvement of each. Mm -hmm. Just a note, our creator that we're having on the show today only worked on Sherlock Holmes Scarlet Thread. Yeah. That's actually one of the really unique things about Unlock is there is no one creator or creator team. They do a really good job of going out and hiring different creators. Sometimes they repeat, but that's why you get such a different feel every time you pick up a different unlock game is because it's not coming from the same team. Mm -hmm. I actually really like that. But Zach, jump us into insert coin. What did we really love about this game? And then we'll move into where we felt like there's some room for improvement. Yeah, no, the thing I think we both really enjoyed about insert coin was the technological i'm going to say advancement in this game compared to some of the other games the app very much plays a gigantic role into this game it is important in every game um, it is used as an answer outlet it is used to get hints it's used for your timer but in this game with it being a video game based unlock you get to do many different things throughout the game where you get to interact with your phone to play video games it has ar elements in it as well it's just really cool what they've been able to achieve in this game in terms of making the video game come to life. Yeah, I agree. And it fits too. Yeah. Like this is a, the story of this is it's almost like a love letter to retro games, right? It is all eight bit. Yeah. It's all eight bit. It looks really cool. If I'm remembering correctly, this was my favorite game of the, of this set of heroic adventures. I think I enjoyed there was Insert a lot of coin. really fun elements yeah. in Insert Coin. Yeah. It just had great moments. It wasn't super difficult. And again, like Zach said, the tech elements, especially if you've ever played an unlocked game, there is a part within the app where you get to use, they're called machines. Yep. And they just did some really simple, smart, fun things with the machines that made sense in the story. Mm -hmm. Just really well done. If you love video games, you will, you will love this. But as for the room for improvement, Zach, I felt like there were... And this isn't just true of this game, but 
a lot of times it's not just the information in the cards on how they solve puzzles, but it's alignment of cards next to each other. It's like a common puzzle type throughout all the unlocks. And I felt like that wasn't super clear either in the signposting or in the execution of the puzzle on, on a couple of different puzzles in this game. Yeah, the cards, they're used definitely outside of the normal boundaries of the front and back. You get to use them positionally to set up certain puzzles outside the game. It is really cool that they do that, but the issue sometimes is that it's a normal size card for an unlock, and they put a lot of information on them, and then they have to have technology work with it. And sometimes the exact alignment of using like your phone, which could be a different size from the cards, depending if you use many different iPhones. Yes. It sometimes felt like the alignment was just a little bit off on certain puzzles, it wasn't like the craziest thing, but it did catch us a few times. We were like, okay, I get what they're trying to do, but I feel like I'm missing a part of this because it's like hard to notice it through the alignment. But overall, it's pretty well done. It's just like anything, some minor tech issues. Yeah, it just, it makes you question yourself a little bit, right? Like if something isn't perfect and we just felt like there were a few small issues like in that throughout the game, but by and large, just the overall like joy that I got from playing a escape game about video games i was like whatever like this is awesome like let's get to the next machine but i want to move us now to sherlock scarlet thread which dave neal the creator is who we get to have on in our questions for creators zach this in my estimation represented a big shift in unlock because we start to see some things that feel more narrative based well, yeah, it's definitely the biggest jump in narrative that we've had in a unlock. Most unlock games do have a narrative along with it, but it's kind of like a side thing or like the theme is very simple. So it's kind of like like Dr. No Side, um, I think is his name, is the one of the main guys who's in most of the unlocks. Most of his narratives are pretty easy to follow and it's cool to see like a returning character. But specifically in Sherlock, the Scarlet Thread of Murder, it is a Sherlock game. It is going to have deductive reasoning. You have to, you get suspects, you get a murder, and you have to work through it to figure out who did it. So there is a lot more narrative that is figuring out and learning about certain characters, including the witnesses and the victims slash suspects of the game and trying to gain more information about them, who they were, where they were at, why they'd have a motive, why they wouldn't have one. You have Sherlock themselves. It was very interesting to see a big shift in terms of the narrative and the deductive reasoning mattered a ton. Yes. More than in most, most unlock games don't have a deductive reasoning element in them. Yeah, I agree. Cause your, your puzzle in essence was tell me which one of these three suspects is the one that you actually needed. Yep. And they do a good job of making you puzzle through that. And it's like you said, deductive reasoning is a sense of detail, but it just, it made the story flow very well there was a good environment that we were working through as well, which is kind of different for an unlock. It just felt like a step up because uh, I'm looking at some of the other games right now. One of my other favorite stories is on Secret Adventures, which I believe is the third release. And there is one called the Tombstone Express. Yeah. And it's kind of a Wild West train robbery style game. That was one of my other favorite stories, but it still kind of stayed within the confines of what a traditional unlock game does. And this one felt like they kind of like started to peel away from that a little bit. Yeah. And I really, really liked that. But moving into our room for improvement, this is one of those games that Zach and I made a error in, but learned something great from that. Zach, tell them the story of our playthrough Sherlock Holmes Scarlet Thread. Well, 
Um, we were playing through Sherlock Holmes, The Scarlet Thread of Murder. We got about, I'd say about 45% of the way through the game. And we were missing a piece of information that was vital to learning a... We essentially were doing the puzzles and we were gaining information on certain suspects. But there was one element of a certain suspect. That we were like, how in the heck are you supposed to get info knowing like... Correct. How to follow them or know exactly where they were. Yes. And we were missing a card. We, we essentially were missing the card that would connect the suspect with the item that we were intrigued with. And it just, it kept throwing us off because you're like, we're missing like one piece of information. And we looked through all the cards and we found it. We were like, okay, how do we get that? So then we, <laughs> so we start reverse engineering. We, we basically played the game and skipped it and then reverse engineered the game so that we figure out what would have made the connection. And what we realized is that... Didn't we have to watch a video? We did also watch a video to see if someone else figured it. Because they, they Cause got we, it. Because we were hard stuck. Yes, we got hard stuck because we didn't know how the puzzle solved. Which is one of the things that I think Unlock is interesting with. Is that they don't really... They have a way of kind of keeping you on track. Like the, the app kind of does follow your progress. And has, and has a hint system, sure. But... If you just get hard stuck, it can't answer the question no. for you. You're just out of luck and you have to reverse engineer it. So we basically played the game, then reverse engineered to figure out what we missed. And we basically found out that uh, we watched a video and someone's board in the in the video had it different than ours. It comes with like this foldable board that get, was where you can put your suspects and other info. And I was like, that's weird. And then we went back to our folded thing and realized the entire time we did not unfold it the entire way. <laughs> there was one flap. And that one flap, because it looks like a normal board, even when you don't unflap it, like it, yes. it gives you enough info that you didn't think there was more. <sighs> and we realized that we covered two numbers and one of the numbers was the piece of evidence that would right. have given us the connection. And I don't, again, I don't want to say that that's, we're not blaming Unlock for us not doing our complete due diligence, right? Oh, no. Yeah. But the whole point of this, and Zach, I think you would agree, is if the information that the app doesn't give you doesn't help you through your puzzle, you're stuck. You cannot move on you, unless and, you reverse engineer it. And I've had this happen again. This one, my fault. Some of the earlier unlock games that were not as well gated, that became really frustrating. But I feel like that's where a lot of the frustration in unlock comes is with their hint system. We felt that in this game. Thankfully, you know, we had fun reverse engineering and working through it, but it doesn't provide you a good way. This is why, again, we're broken record advocates for tiered hint systems with optional solutions, like optional for us as the players to look at them because being stuck and not being able to move forward in an at-home puzzle game is not fun yep. in the least bit. But man, we had such a good laugh about that. It was just kind of one of those like, <sighs> we like, both, I think, I think you would agree. We both felt very dumb. After very dumb. We realized what we missed. Very dumb. But then to go back through it, and see it all come together. It was like, oh, if we would have done this the first time, this would have been fantastic. Wow, we would have solved this, I don't know, 20 <laughs> minutes faster if we just uh, realized, if we just flipped one more thing. Yeah. But overall, if you're, again, more of a narrative player, if you like Sherlock Holmes, this is great. There's even another unlock game that Dave is working on. He'll, he'll mention it briefly, but I want to point it out to all of our listeners. It is in one of the more recent series. It is in the game adventures box. I don't believe this is out yet. Or I'm sorry, legendary adventures. My apologies. This is available in Europe, but not yet readily available via Amazon in the U S as of the recording. 
of this, but he has another Sherlock game coming out, and we're super excited to play that once we can get our hands on that in the States. Zach, why don't you talk us through Pursuit of the White Rabbit, what we really enjoyed about that, and where you feel like it left off a little bit. Yeah, so in the Pursuit of the White Rabbit is basically Alice in Wonderland. What I thought we, or I would say I really liked, I, I don't know if Jared feels exactly the same way, but what I thought was intriguing with this game is this was the most difficult game. So I did take some different risks in terms of doing more with the cards and playing off of the normal like path that Unlock usually does. So what I mean by that is in Unlock, most of the cards are used generically as the front, has most information in the back, sometimes is used to help with certain puzzles. This game, the cards are used a lot. How they are physically used, certain elements in the game to position them so that you can see certain things. Reading the front of the cards, reading the back of the cards, having the app to help you look at certain cards in a different way. It felt like they took a risk in terms of making it feel like the game was very different. It was almost like you went down a rabbit hole of just trying new things. It was like, that's a good point. It was literally like, okay, we're doing this. Okay. It's interesting. This card has this element on the back, but this one's completely different than these cards, you know? And then you looked at them a certain way. And when you position them, and then when you did the front, the puzzle was there, but some of them, you had to look at them differently. It, it was very interesting to try an element of a game that went out of its way to do new things. And it pulled it off in most of the ways in terms of using the cards in more than like two ways. Yeah. I agree. And I think that's what we really, Zach is saying is we really enjoyed is they took a risk here. Yep. And I loved it. There were even, I don't know if Zach, if you mentioned this, there were even extra cards yes. like beyond. Cause I think most unlocked decks are like a standard 60 card deck. Yeah. Sometimes they vary a little bit, but the way that it didn't work for me is that it took a risk, but especially in white rabbit, it didn't always pay off. And that's hard for me to say, but what I mean by that is, I think it was said really well by Julian, who was our guest when we covered Zoria, the Celestial Sisters. He said one of the pitfalls of level design, and I think that's true of this, is that complicated is different than hard. There are good ways to make things hard, but a bad way to make things hard is just to make it more complicated. And that's honestly what White Rabbit felt like to me. It felt zany. It was on theme. It was on story. We're all more or less familiar with Alice in Wonderland. But in terms of the puzzles coming together, it just felt like a lot of them were either reaches or just like overly complicated or complex in the steps needed to accomplish it. Is that too harsh or fair analysis, Zach? I think it's a little harsh, but but I get what you're meaning. It is definitely a thing that... There were a few puzzles that I specifically can think of that it was stretches. It was kind of like, okay, I get what they were trying to do, but like it was overly complicated because once you learn the answer, like, oh, you could have done that a little bit different and still made it as difficult of a puzzle because gaining all the info you needed to solve some of those certain puzzles was still required. Yeah. But then you added an extra step to make it like, okay, you're making it more difficult now just to make it more difficult. Sure. It's like fine, I guess, but it's not as fun. I could have solved it and you could have made this still hard, but not chat like complicated. And I think that's exacerbated by the fact that, and we've talked about this in other episodes is that unlock does run on a timer yep, and it does run on a scoring system. You could play it without that going. But for those of us that like to live and abide by what the game is trying to do naturally, I think some of the puzzles would have been more enjoyable without a timer where you could really sit down and play mm-hmm. and feel like you have the ability to do so. 
And that's, I think that's where some of the frustration came in for me. It was like, this isn't a wonderful puzzle, but it's not a terrible puzzle, but under the time constraints that I'm under right now, it didn't feel like some of them really had a place. Yeah. Cause it was a lot of guess and check and maneuver. And I'm not saying that's a bad puzzle, but for the medium and for the situation that it was put in, this was not one of my favorite unlock games. I think there's a lot of great unlock games out there, but I would say if you're picky and choosy about which ones I would say insert coin and Sherlock are definitely the stars of this box. White rabbit, pick it up if you're looking for a challenge and maybe some complexity. And I think there are some puzzle types in here that again, just don't fit Zach and I's preferences Mm -hmm. as well. Um, So take that or leave that for what you will. Yeah. Uh, Anything else you want to add about unlock Zach? No, I, I definitely enjoy unlocks a lot. I, I always am happy when we get to crack open the three different games. I forget the other one we played not crazy long ago, but it had the like the silver screen and epic adventures. Epic adventures. I think that's collectively our favorite box. Yes. So far. Yeah, I enjoyed that box as a whole a lot. But in general, when we play unlocks and we get to play these boxes, it is a lot of fun. So I'm very excited to potentially play more in the future. Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm very, very excited. The one thing I will say in closing out is, and I want to dote on them because they do this so well. Zach and I, one of our big sticking points, things that we're always talking about is onboarding. I think Unlock onboards their customers so well. Oh, I think it's one of the best, if not the best. They give you an intro game to show you how to do it. It uses the app. It uses the card. It teaches you what to do. Yep. And it's not. So that way you jump into your first game and you're ready to go. I very rarely see anybody else do this. Usually the onboarding is like a part of the game that you're playing. Yep. But there's no, there's no risk. Like it is a consequence free game for you to learn. It's, it's brilliant. I, I, I wish more companies would adopt that and allow me to, have that apart from the actual game if their system is so different. And I think unlock system is different enough to where it does demand that. Yeah. But yeah, I think I could go on very, very long and talk about why that's so good, but I did want to throw that in there because I nailed it. Yep. Well, that's going to wrap us up for our first section. We have puzzle to the people coming at you next. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for puzzles to the people. Man, I'm just really enjoying Deadbolt Mystery Society games lately. They're just giving me a real sense of nostalgia. Yeah, I've been really enjoying them. My favorite part about them is they just feel balanced. You get a little bit of an escape room, a little bit of a murder mystery. It kind of reminds me of those cartoon TV shows I grew up on. Same. There's one I'm specifically thinking of. It kind of involves a dog and some humans in it. Oh, the Jetsons. I love that show. Okay, close but wrong. No, they kind of like solve mysteries together. Oh, Courage the Cowardly Dog. Okay, they don't solve mysteries. Courage literally does random things. Jared, I was specifically trying to tell you it's Scooby-Doo. That doesn't sound right. No, 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 Blue's Clues. Okay, they are solving puzzles and mysteries, but no, 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 no. I'm talking about Scooby-Doo. Well, at least the good thing for our listeners is if you like adult Scooby-Doo, you can play a Deadbolt Mystery Society game. And when you want to go purchase one, you can put in the promo code PC15 for 15% off subscriptions and single one-time boxes. No, I've got it. It's Air Bud. Jared, that's a real-life dog. That's not even animated, and he doesn't even solve crimes. Welcome back to Puzzling Company here in the Deadbolt Mystery Society studio. This is Puzzle to the People. And Zach, we do a lot of different things. Today, I actually want to 
I almost went reviews today. Okay. Because Unlock has been around for a really long time. Yep. And I think we would get a diverse opinion on this, be able to go back and forth. But I just think that we're afforded a unique opportunity that we've seen in other games, but that we haven't discussed before. Okay. We talked about how Unlock is sold in a series of three. Yep. And you can see even by looking through the flap that you receive that many different creators contribute to this. But that's what I want to talk about because we've seen a lot of this lately. And I want to talk about conceptually the idea of collaborative efforts to bring together one single product, right? Mm, Like the box that we played today is Heroic Adventures. It's sold as one MSRP. Yep. But all of these different games, even though they're individual games, they're still brought together by many different people. Yep. And we've seen a lot of that in the smaller community as well as the larger community lately. And I would just would start off by asking you, like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you like that? Do you like getting to see things from many different creators? Or do you like it when just one person creates a whole thing or one company creates a whole thing, even though it might be a collaborative environment within that company? What are your thoughts on that? That's an interesting question. I don't know if there's really like a a yes or no to that. Like in terms of like, yeah, like working together is great or no, you should never work together. I mean, clearly it depends on the project. Many people have different skill sets that they can use together to create an amazing product. That's with anything in life in terms of finding people you can work well with that bring unique things to the table that you can't so you can bring a lot more to the table. In terms of examples like with specifically doing the unlocks, I think it's perfect. The reason why, in my opinion, would be it brings a different style to every game you play. You are not running into the same product 18 times. You might have someone who is the same, st- like, you know, you might bring a, a certain person who does, like, the scenario work for the game or the artwork back. But, okay, let's say they do two games out of, like, the 20 unlocks. Right. You know, in this three, in this game alone, the three different art styles are completely different. One's 8-bit, one's more, like, I would say realistic. The third one is more cartoony, but, like, Alice in Wonderland cartoony. There's very different, and clearly three different art, you know, artists worked on all three of these games. Yes. But it, it's really interesting because it it spices up the project and brings in new 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 eyes to bring in their own opinions, bring in their own spice, their own flavor to a game. When it comes to at-home games, I think it's really good too because I think sometimes the hard part with at-home games is that your production is slower. You don't have as many people on team. So you are creating it this mostly the same style every time. Or like, you know, if it's if it's me ba- making the same three games, I only have my style. I might try to spice it up every time a little bit, but dramatically it won't change a ton. You know, so having games where you bring in, let's say, oh, I, I make these crime solver games really well, but I need like an element to spice up the artwork and the story. Oh, I bring in, um, you know, this person and they're able to bring in this element to the game to spice it up. Light in the Mist is a perfect example of a collaborative game mm. where it brings two amazing people who create really cool things and combine them, where one of them does really well with the puzzles and the narrative and has most of the time really solid artwork that they get on their games. But then you add in a very specific style that you know someone else can do really well and you go like, okay, let's work together. We'll create the perfect project for that game. It works. I don't find many negatives with collaborative, except in my opinion, it's at the high end. I'm going to say like mass market only because depending on the product or the company you work with, I could see them limiting a lot of things you could do. 
you know, depending on who we've talked to, most of them seem pretty cool, but I could see an issue of like, oh, you want to work with Star Wars. Star Wars goes, you're limited to this. You're with yeah. Disney. They go like, you're doing this and we're basically telling you what to So do. you're saying like when you're working with a very specific IP. Yes. I think with bigger IPs, it is definitely more difficult to be collaborative because I, I think they limit you a lot. I mean, clearly from people we talk to who are more mass market, there is limits. They go like, this is what right. we want. And then we'll talk to you about how we can create it to work together. Sure. So they do collaborate. Don't, don't get me wrong. There's not many negatives to collaborating in my opinion. No, I agree. I like hundred percent what you said about it's fun to open up an unlock box and to get to interact with so many different creators. But the funny thing is I think most people don't realize that they are each created by somebody different. I didn't realize that when we first played these circa 2018, 17, whenever that was, mm -hmm. my assumption was one, these are all probably just made by the company or two, like, I don't really care who makes them. Like, I'm here to play a game, so the creator is kind of inconsequential to me. Again, that was me at the time. Sure. But when you do get to dig into that, I like it because usually you identify with a creator. I think we do the same thing in movies, right? Mm -hmm. It's why people, some people were super excited that J.J. Abrams was coming to the Star Wars franchise and why others were very unhappy that he was coming to the Star Wars franchise. Or that so-and-so is directing or, oh, they're bringing in this art director or whatever. We identify with certain people, their styles, their tendencies. And so we're excited to journey with that a little bit. Mm -hmm. But Unlock becomes, in my opinion, kind of like uh, going to Golden Corral, if you will. It's a little bit of a buffet of different creators. <laughs> the look on your face right now. That's an interesting way of putting it. I agree. You're getting to try so many different styles within the same format. Yeah. Are you not a buffet guy? No, but it's really funny thinking of just going to this buffet and it's like, hey, here's my artwork. Please play my game. I'm so, you're like, nah, honestly, I paid $5 for this. I'm just going to go buy. Would you prefer CeCe's Pizza? No. Okay. Any buffet you want to say, I get the analogy or whatever. <laughs> I'm not a buffet person, but fair. I love CeCe's Pizza. We may have just lost half of our listeners by me saying I that. Say, I, you're like one of the biggest fans of CeCe's Pizza that I think ever has existed. I can't get enough of the Alfredo pizza uh, and the desserts. I, the only I'm times I've ever had CeCe's Pizza is when I've been forced to after sports events. Wow. That's really hard. And hurt. you're never going to force me to go there. <laughs> you're right. I will never force you to get there. I hope you join me one day, though. But I also agree. Sorry, getting back to what we were talking about. <laughs> I also agree about what you're saying. I've also enjoyed a lot of the collaborations that we've been seeing in the community. You mentioned Jack and Rita with Light in the Mist. I know that there's talks about there. I think Enigma Fellowship and Krakenet bringing their worlds together and mentioning mm -hmm. each other. Yep. I think there is a lot of room and a lot of fun to do that because you and I have actually ventured into this recently at the escape rooms. So I don't yep. want to talk about that a little bit, but for the most part over the years, I'm kind of the primary creative force in the escape rooms. But with our new process, we kind of opened it up to everyone. And I rather enjoyed the collaborative force versus me just coming up with everything. And I'm interested to hear what you have to say about that, because usually you would pitch ideas or you would help fix things. But I was pretty guarded about letting people into the creation aspect of it. Yeah, I've been part of the process of creating games with you since probably three years ago four is when you started asking my opinion on certain things or helping build or take apart or fix elements of games 
but recently in the last like year, year and a half, you've opened it up to like some of the people who are having more experience in the, in the managers. So like you talked to me and Abby, cause we've been there for, it'll be six years in May. That's crazy to think about. But anyways, it's been an interesting process because I think there's a lot of things you do well in escape rooms, but there are things that you and I both know that you struggled with. And what I thought was really cool about the process that we started to do with the new escape rooms that we're building or like going through and working on is we get to come at you and good and bad get to tell you what our opinion is and be like, Hey, like, I think you do a good job. You've gotten way better at it at taking criticism from us and being like, Hey, like it's really cool on paper, but people are going to break that prop easily. <laughs> and it was like, you know, we had our moments with certain games. Like when we had Skinner's like Skinner's on paper is probably one of the most interesting games we've had, but in practice, some of it didn't work out the way we wanted to. And that's sure. totally fine. But it, it has been really cool because I've been really enjoying being able to give my full opinion. And I know you'll take it at least. It's been nice to be able to, like, you appreciate my opinion fully and let me help with, like, creating some of the narrative or, like, I don't know, the title of our, our newest game that will be coming out in a few months. I've had a room that I've built for two years now called Treehouse. Um, if Jared doesn't build it, uh, I will sell it to anyone here <laughs> uh, because it is very good. So I agree. Although I will say, I think this is one of the downfalls. Downfalls is a strong word. I think there's more to gain from collaboration. Yeah. But in my opinion, one of the downfalls is it's not always the most efficient process. It definitely slows it down. It does add in elements of other people's opinions and people can get, I wouldn't say frustrated is the right word, but it is kind of a process of like, you have five people who are going to tell you your opinions now and we're all different. And we're going to go like, well, I think this would be a good puzzle. And we go like, well, no, I don't think that's like really a good idea for a puzzle. Or like, oh, I think the narrative should be like zany and funny. And I'm like, no, I think the narrative should be like this for this part of the game. Like if we want to keep that part, it definitely slows it down. Like having many people bring in their opinions and listening to all of them and try to figure out what's the best of all of it. You know, like that was one of an interesting part with creating the new puzzles for the new game we're building was I think we all had like a general idea, but then like three meetings, which is like six hours worth of talking was basically just getting on the same page of how we thought they would work and building them. And so it slows it down because it could easily be like, if you were just building the room, you go like, okay, I do this, I do this, this. And then it's not about the creative. It's, I want to say it's the play testing is then your next big like time spenders. Cause you build it yourself and no one really, I wouldn't say questions it, but like you go, okay, I'm Jared Dieter Dieter. I build this game. And then we play it. And then we go like, uh, Jared, what do you think with this and this? And then great, you're like, great summation of my creative process. Neater, neater. <laughs> me, me, Jared, me, me put escape room in room. Me put lock on box. That's not what you do, but it, it is pretty funny to think that way. But yeah, it, I've, I've really enjoyed the process. It definitely does slow down the process. I think it sometimes can include frustrations with different people's thought processes just because it is, it is an invitation to having people play devil's advocate with each other in terms of what they like and don't like. As we talk about it in today with Unlock, I think there was an inherent risk with it because, like I said, White Rabbit didn't really pay off for me. Sure. But the other two did. So it's great because I want to play more games from these other two creators. I'd probably give this creator another shot. I'm not usually like a burn me once and I'm done with you. But there's some risk in that, right? Like if you don't keep things consistent you have the chance to potentially alienate people with those different styles, right? Yep. It's it's kind of the curse of options, right? Is yeah. unless everybody likes all of them, well, then now only, in my case, two-thirds of this unlock box really resonated well with me. 
Yeah, but then you also introduce the element of people getting bored of the same element every time. It, you know, we've talked about this in, in other, in different adjacent spaces, but if I play an escape room and it's literally the exa- same escape room, but you change the theme every time, oh, you're saving Anakin from bad guys. And then in the next game, it's, oh, it's Red Riding Hood and you're stopping the bad guys, but it's like the same game. Just You're talking barely. about the, the same narrative arc. Yeah. Yes. Like, but I also mean like literally the game. Like imagine we played an escape room and you made blind pig, but then you just changed the theme. But like the game was the exact same function. Like the puzzles and the yeah. flow and everything. Yes. You're like, oh, well, this is a Sandlot <laughs> version of blind pig. And this is, you know, you would get bored because the fundamental process of how the game functions or the, the system would get boring at some point, even if you change the theme. Like you would know, like, okay, I know in this unlock, I'm going to do this on, you know, and I do this and I do this. There's nothing new and exciting. You know, it's one of the things that we've, we've praised like Scarlet Envelope for is that it is the same, you know, it's an envelope every time, but every envelope's different. If I played the same Scarlet Envelope and I opened it up and it was the same newspaper, photo, cipher, random things, nine times in a row, I'd be like, okay, this right. is kind of getting tiring. You know, but every time we get a new Scarlet Envelope, shout out to them. But in general, like when we play, get new games from people, they they go above and beyond to try to make it familiar, I think is the great word that you feel like, oh, mm. I, I've done something like this before, but not like, oh, I've played the same game, but changed narrative a little bit. And I think the other constraint here is in a lot of the other collaborations that we're talking about, they had the freedom to do whatever they wanted. Collaboration mm. in terms of this is your game is getting paired with somebody else's game that you don't even know. Yep. They have their own contract. You have your own contract. But the only thing that's going to remain consistent is it has to fit this format. And that can be that can be a little weird too. And I've always wondered how they go and talk to people to say like, okay, you're going to make the easiest game. Or are like all of these people just making the games and they're saying like, oh, well, that play tested is the easiest. This play tested is the hardest. There's a chance. We'll go, sure. ahead, we'll go ahead and throw them on in. Also, the thing that makes me really laugh about all the unlock boxes is the name of the different boxes. Because, Zach, I know you're playing Magic more and more. I've been a big Pokemon card player for the majority of my life. But the funny thing about all of those things is like, it's like a thesaurus of like different words. Like, the new set of Pokemon is Rebel Clash. It's like always two like action words thrown together and then it's the same in magic and then i feel like unlock is the same thing it's legendary adventures heroic adventures transcendent i just think it's funny that it's like we we can go a different route with this you guys like i just personally think that that's funny and i had to throw that in there no it is kind of funny now i think about it it is true Really, you tell me like in magic, you don't want to play the throne of Eldraine and then do modern magic or modern masters too. And then, uh, I don't know, Zendikar rising and then do, yeah. I mean, it is funny that that is a very popular thing. It's just to do like these two words that go like, we'll put these together. They'll be the perfect idea. Of how that, to sell that's this game. the name of our set. I think it's funny. It does help distinguish. I get it. But it, to me, it's like within nerd culture, a lot of like of those things, it's just like, I feel like there's just this room of people that your whole job is to like reiterate two words and put them together. And you're like, yes, that's what we'll call this set. It's another word for heroic. We need another one for this box now. The thesaurus app isn't working. We're screwed. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, that's really going to wrap us up for our middle section. Hang around. We've got questions for creators coming at you next. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is questions for creators. 
and we're back live in Milan for Fashion Weekend. And oh my gosh, it's happening. International supermodel Zach is coming down the runway. Zach, Zach, a moment. Who, who are you wearing today? Sure, I'm wearing Salvo shirts from CU Adventures. Oh my gosh, they, they look amazing. Can, can you tell us more about it? Not only are they the best in comfort and in fashion, but also there's a puzzle hidden with all the top. You're saying there's a puzzle hidden in your shirt? Oh yeah. I, my mind is blown by that. Where, where can the public pick up these shirts? They can pick them up at cuadventures.com. I have to head out now. Ciao. I'm just getting word that these shirts not only come in one type, but there is a trove of, of Pirate Cove and a Maze of the Minotaur option. Again, trove of Pirate Cove and Maze of Minotaur option. He's just so handsome, that Zach. I know. Welcome back to Puzzling Company here in the Deadbolt Mystery Society studio. We are in the final section of the show that is questions for creators. This is the section of the show where we get to talk to the amazing people who contribute to the games we got to play today. I don't want to spoil too much of this interview, but it was very awesome to get to talk to the person we had about the game they contribute to and about other things. But not to spoil anymore, we're going to go straight into the interview. So can you tell us a little bit um, about your story leading up into the first game that you got to make? Yeah, I'm Dave Neal, and I'm a full-time narrative game designer based in the UK. And my entry to game design was kind of accidental. I guess I never expected, I never expected to be in the position I'm in now, and I never really planned for it, and it just kind of happened. And because I thought I was going to be an academic. I was doing my PhD. I was doing like research and I was kind of planning a research career. And around that time, near the time I started my PhD, which was uh, 2012, I discovered the old battered copy of Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective in the attic at my dad's house. And it was clearly something we'd bought at like some car boot sale thing some uh, years, uh, years before. Um, but I'd never really played. And I just looked at it, read about it, and thought, this game looks amazing. And it was out of print at that time. And this was some, you know, old copy from the 80s. And so we played it. And then I just like fell in love with it and thought, this is amazing. This is great. This kind of, you know, really feels like you're a part of a Sherlock Holmes story. And so we finished that and I managed to get hold of the expansions that were also out of print. We played all of them. And then there was like nothing left. And I was like, maybe I should make some stuff for this. So I came up with some ideas for cases just for my own enjoyment. May, uh, wrote a few, tested them with friends and stuff and family. And that was kind of it. And then I saw that Starry, it was then, were republishing the original game. And I sent them an email and said, hey, I've written like a couple of cases for it. Here they are, if you want to you know, publish some new stuff for it at some point. And they were like, oh, okay, thanks. We'll look. And then I didn't really get anything else back. I think for over a year, I can't quite remember how long it was exactly, but it was a very long time. To the point where I had started, I hadn't actually released any of the things I'd written like online or anything, but I was thinking of doing that. And then I just suddenly got this email. Um, I mean, in the meantime, they'd been taken over by Space Cowboys and become part of Asmodee and everything. And then I got this email that said, basically, we've played through your stuff and we love it. Could you do a whole box of 10 cases so we can release that? So <laughs> that was my first game contract then from that, which was yeah, kind of unbelievable to me at the time that suddenly happened. It felt great. And um, that then has just opened a huge amount of doors and it's kind of snowballed into more and more game design work. At the time when that first happened, I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to have a game published. And I thought that'd be it. And then I'd just be an academic, but it hasn't turned out like that. 
So I was doing some research of your other games, and I, I've noticed you have this fascination or niche with making Sherlock games. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I keep kind of thinking, okay, I'm sort of done with Sherlock now, and then he just won't leave me alone. He keeps turning up again. It's like, you know, he's basically shadowing me everywhere I go. I'm like, yeah, I'm done with him. And then it's like hearing the doorbell ring. You're like, oh my God, he's back. It's um, <laughs> it's like, yes. I mean, I love Sherlock Holmes. I read the original stories when I was, I don't know, pretty young, like nine or 10 or something and, and loved them then. And so I've kind of been a, a sort of lifelong fan of Sherlock Holmes. And that was one of the reasons, you know, of course, that I loved playing the original consultant detective game and then decided I wanted to write some of my own cases for it. And I think I kind of know the kind of original Holmes canon and stuff pretty well. So that kind of helped with all that. And then, um, yeah, from there, I then went into making uh, the next thing I did for Asmodee was the unlock, uh, Sherlock Holmes unlock scenario, which was, uh, it was just a thought to me after I'd done the Baker Street Irregulars set for consultant detective I just suddenly thought there hasn't been a Sherlock Holmes unlock. That could be kind of interesting. And I came with an idea for it and showed them it. They liked it and that went ahead. And I've now done a second one that's also Sherlock Holmes themed that's just about to come out in English, I think, end of this month, maybe. I think at that point, I was kind of, I very much had Sherlock Holmes in my head when I was first starting to come up with other game designs. I came up with a game design um, that's now being released. It's called Dubious now. It was originally called The Science of Deduction, named after um, the Sherlock Holmes kind of method of deduction, which is a party game about trying to work out other players' jobs and secrets. So that was kind of Sherlock Holmes themed, and that arose at around a similar time. But yeah, I keep cycling back to him for two main reasons. One is, I mean, there's another game coming out at the end of this year called um, The Animals of Baker Street, which I designed with my friend Clementine Beauvais, which was very interesting. She's a children's author, and it took quite a while for her to get her head around what it meant to design an interactive game. But with that one, we knew we wanted to do a detective thing. I just approached her and said, let's do a detective game for kids. And we just ended up coming back to Sherlock just because it worked for what we wanted. And because, of course, it's a common license, and so it's just available. And now I just get asked to do Sherlock stuff, right? Like, people approach me and like, hey, you've done Sherlock stuff. We've got, we want to do a Sherlock thing. Can you do this? And so that's the sense in which it's a bit like, oh, okay, he's probably not going to leave me alone. I'm probably going to be designing Sherlock games my entire life, I kind of feel now. So another guest that we had on not that long ago, near the end of our first year, Matthew Dunstan. I know you know him. You're in some creative groups with him. I got to ask you this question. If you had to say which one of you is Sherlock Holmes and which one of you is Moriarty, which characterization would you give to each of you? Sherlock versus Moriarty. Well, I think the thing is with Matt is he has some, um, he has amazing ideas. He's very good at coming up with kind of seeing into the heart of game designs in terms of like the system and figuring out how to sort of simplify things in a, in a way where it's like, oh, well, yeah, that's cool. Why didn't I see that? And um, yeah, kind of understand what the system is how to make the system effective and, and what that's going to look like when it's played, right? That's part of the challenge of game design is that you can think like, well, what if we do this or this? But having an insight and an understanding of what that's going to actually look like when it's on the table, that's hard to do. So I think he probably, in that setup, have to be Sherlock Holmes and I have to be Moriarty because the thing about Matt is I can't in any way see him. He doesn't have an evil bone in his body. He's not, I don't think, <laughs> he can't, I don't think he could ever be a bad guy. <laughs> I cannot see him in that role. It's impossible. So yeah, me on the other hand, I could do that. So yeah. So we know you have done a lot of academic research into the play of these types of games and stuff like that. Can you kind of give us like a bird's eye view of that and kind of what that process is? 
yeah, I mean, my research originally was with like very young kids and mainly focused on child development and stuff. But looking at like play and how children play and how they play with parents and how they learn stuff from playing with parents. And then more recently, that extended into kind of being interested in, yeah, particularly like structured kinds of play, which games kind of fall into. And then also this interest in play over the lifespan, like how is play different when adults engage in play to when children engage in play? And what does that mean? And why do we play as adults? And and these kind of things. So I think there is, um, I mean, puzzles, I think, are very interesting as a, a form of play that adults engage in that can be can have a lot of, I guess, positive effects that you don't always think of. And I think play in adults is often underappreciated for some of the benefits it can give. And in childhood, in fact, I mean, play is often looked at as quite a frivolous sort of mindless activity almost when um, there's actually a huge amount of complex stuff going on. And I mean, some of the main things that we know or can conclude about play are essentially that it is it's incredibly varied. And so therefore it can involve a huge range of different things. And so for example, for children learning, they can, they can learn, they can potentially learn a huge amount in play because of the different things they could be doing. They could be learning about dexterity and they could be learning about shapes and colors and they could be learning language and they could be learning about creativity. And, and all of this kind of stuff occurs in a context which is safe and where failure is allowed. Right. And if you look at like an animals playing as well, you'll see that they will often young animals will play kind of doing things that the adult animals do and they'll play around and they'll and they'll fail and they'll do it badly i mean there's a video of like polar bears that i have shown in lectures and stuff sometimes where you see like the adult polar bear breaks holes in the ice to get fish out and you see like these little polar bear cubs and they kind of like one of them kind of pushes its face into the ground sort of trying to do the same thing and kind of then goes up on its head and then kind of just falls over on its back and (laughs) And like part of the point about play is that it gives you the opportunity to fail and failure is really important for learning, right? Like in a way that whoever fails the most learns the most is through the failure that you understand what leads to success and how to kind of avoid that failure in future. And so play gives you this safe space where you're allowed to fail, where failing doesn't have the same consequences it does in the real world. If that polar bear as an adult did that, then they'd have failed to get the fish and the food and they'd be potentially going to starve, right? So play has this potentially important role in these kind of things. And I think it does for adults as well in a way that's largely unexplored. There hasn't been that much looking at it yet, but um, there are studies showing things like that for playing puzzles and playing games can, for example, help with emotional distress. It can help people through periods of kind of grief and loss. It can help maintain brain health um, in the elderly to old age. So there's a lot of interesting stuff in play and in puzzles, and a lot of it is still not that explored in research terms. Okay, so I have a follow-up question to that, and it's, I have kids, and I know a lot of your research, as you mentioned, is focused on younger ages. Can you maybe give me some do's and don'ts on the best ways to play with my kids? Yeah, well, I think one thing is, I mean, this is the kind of question you get a lot, <laughs> I get. Um, and when I um, have given academic talks or like talks to groups of parents and things, it's the kind of thing that comes up. And I think in one sense, it is probably possible to just kind of worry too much as a parent about what, what you do in that the worrying itself can almost become a problem. So it's kind of like partly it's kind of relaxing as part of kind of the key thing in a sense, relaxing in how you interact with your kids. but what we do know is that it seems 
to be from various research studies, including um, some of the ones that I've done, that there is a kind of sweet spot in terms of interaction with kids and in relation to learning and play where you kind of support their play, but you don't take it over. And so if you imagine an example, um, which is actually from a study I did where a, a, like a kid is maybe playing with a, a ring toy where there's like a pole and they're putting rings, trying to put rings on top. If a kid kind of picks up a ring and tries to put it on the pole and misses, then the parent could just take the ring and put it on, right? And if they do that, the kid has probably not really learned much and they've kind of taken away the sense of agency. The kid might not even be that interested anymore. They've taken away the fun. And conversely, if they do nothing at all, then the kid might also just try again, miss again, and then kind of give up and kind of lose interest. But if they kind of either pick up a different ring and maybe demonstrate and then take that ring off or kind of support them in moving the ring, kind of nudge it a little bit as the kid moves it. So they're kind of giving a little bit of assistance in the right direction. Then the kid is like just taken a little bit beyond what they can do at the moment. And that's where kind of learning happens, right? Then they're like, oh, if I'd moved it a little bit closer in that way, the ring would have gone on. Now I'll try that next time. So it's that kind of mid ground and just making sure I mean, sometimes, and this was with the caveat that sometimes you do want to just leave them to play, right? And that's fine. But what I'm saying is that if what you want to do is play with your child and you want to kind of maximize the sort of particular benefits that play has, then it appears that the ideal scenario is where there's this kind of light touch and where you just make sure you don't take over. And the best way of doing that, I think, is largely to just play, like be playful. If you sit down to play, as well, then that's probably what's going to happen. You're probably going to be interacting in quite a relaxed, open way where you're not dominating. It's kind of like when you sit down, almost thinking like, I need to make sure they learn this, this, and this, or do this, this, and this, then that's when it can be easier to shift into more of a like taking over and showing them what to do and, and that kind of thing. How has your creative process been affected by your research? My kind of instinct on that is to say, probably almost the opposite. <laughs> I kind of think, I think there are some interesting things. I mean, there are interesting connections between thinking about some issues in game design and thinking about research and psychology and stuff. But I don't think I ever really use any of that when designing a game. I think there have been some things I've thought of when designing games where I thought that's kind of interesting research areas. But also I think my approach, I mean, I... In some senses, I'm a very organized person. And in some senses, I'm a very disorganized person. And I think that in academia and research, I kind of, that brought out a lot of the very organized and methodical part of me. And in game design, I kind of, I guess I, I adopt some of the same processes and have some huge spreadsheets full of all this stuff that I have to cross-reference and things. But on the other hand, I also, my process is kind of chaotic. <laughs> and um I tend to probably not keep enough notes and stuff a lot of the time, partly because I kind of work pretty fast in my thought process and how I'm going through things. And I just, in a way, don't feel I have time to record everything. And I just want to move on to doing the next thing. So that I'm sometimes writing some incredibly complicated branching intersecting narratives. And I've had other people that I've worked with, other designers I've worked with and stuff, who I've started doing narrative games with and things. And they're like, oh, do you, um, what software do you use to plan out the design? Or do you do like a branching tree of the story or whatever? 
And I'm like, no, I just do it in my head. I just kind of try and remember and just write everything in as I go along. And it, and it can create some big problems because sometimes I just get so confused and completely lost. And if I go back to something after I've had, you know, a month or two off from working on it, I'm like, what the heck is this? Like, I don't know why have I got that there? And why is that there? And what's that there? And it takes me about two hours when I suddenly go, oh, right, now I figured it out. Now I know why I've put that there and that there and that there. So yeah, I think, I think I have a fairly chaotic approach in some senses to game design, which um, is definitely not the right way to do research. So they're quite different in those regards. We know that you told us earlier in the interview about the game Dubious that's coming out and also about the Animals of Baker Street. But beyond that, what projects are you going on in the future that you can tell us anything about? The thing is, I'm not entirely sure whether I'm supposed to talk about some things or not. Me and uh, Matthew Dunstan have got another game coming out, but I don't think we can give, really give any details about it yet other than to say it's a, it is another kind of narrative kind of mystery game. And that is potentially actually coming out at the end of this year or maybe early next year, I guess. And then I have, yeah, The Animals of Baker Street coming out in October and Dubious, which is sort of Sherlock Holmes party game coming out sometime later this year, but I'm not exactly sure when. And then I do have a lot of other things coming out. <laughs> I think I've worked it out. I've got something like five games maybe next year and another five or six the year after, but I'm not entirely sure which ones I can talk about at the moment. Some of them will be the new, there's the Echoes line that me and Matt designed, which is continuing. And there's going to be, I think, two of those each year going forwards now for however long. I am probably going to design another Unlock. I've got a concept, but I haven't started it. And it's not Sherlock Holmes this time. But that would be some years away before that actually came out. And yeah, and I'm collaborating with various designers. So that's kind of interesting as well. I'm working with different people again, on projects I might not be supposed to mention, but some of them you'd probably know of. <laughs> and the final question we ask everyone is, what are some games you've been playing recently? Some games you would like to shout out. Um, we like being able to shout out other creators in this part. So kind of tell us some games you've been playing, if that's board games, video games, stuff like that, and give us a little shout out for them. One of my favorite games has always been Letters from Whitechapel, the uh, hidden movement game. I like hidden movement. I like that as a puzzle, a kind of logic puzzle one player against many where one person is kind of moving secretly and trying to stay hidden and all that kind of stuff. I like that. Although I think it might actually be out of print now. So that might not be the greatest recommendation in the world. There's a good uh, game that I bought in Essen, which is a nice, it's slightly different kind of puzzly narrative thing. It's called the heist crime does pay. And I, this was pretty cool. You have to use the telegram app on your phone. You have to install it and then you use it to, communicate with your agents who are kind of robbing a bank sort of thing and you have to um so the materials in the box are like a map of the bank and the area and you get messages from them and video from them sometimes and then you have to like respond and tell them what to do and things and, it, and it, i was unsure how it was going to work um but it i think it pulled it off pretty well and had some interesting puzzles and stuff in it so yeah that's one of the recent things i played that i thought was good but thank you for having me on uh, it's been fun chatting so i hope i hope it's been interesting for you dave thanks so much for coming on the show wonderful wonderful to meet you i really appreciate your perspective also again your your research is just so fascinating yes we'll be hopefully connecting and syncing up then as you have worked on so many other mainstream titles that we're going to have you back on the show hopefully again pretty soon to talk about some of those different projects that you've worked on mm -hmm. if you're interested in learning more about dave and his research you can actually go to 
dneal, it's d-n-e-a-l-e.com. You can see all of his research, all of the games that he's working on. It's really interesting stuff. Find him on Facebook, Instagram. The games themselves, all of the unlocks are available on Amazon. Yep. Um, be aware that those are regionally based. These usually, since they're produced by European producer company, they usually hit Europe first and then the States and other parts of the world later. Just something to be aware of, but you can find those. And uh, again, produce made Space Cowboys, Boys, some of these Asmodee. Be sure to check it all out and you can find their social medias. And if you like their games, give them a good review there. Zach, how can they help us out on our journey? Yeah, there's a few different things you guys can do to help us out on our journey. Um, the first thing is you can go and support us on Patreon. Um, you go to our Patreon. We have three different tiers still that you can gladly support us with. Um, you will get some benefits getting some of the ad the episodes early with no ads. You'd be able to join our Discord, be able to interact and chat with both Jared and I and other great people who are in there as well, a part of our community. You'd be able to join us for certain events and then for other things that are coming in the future as well. Yeah, absolutely. This is... Uh... I think the digital gift for our highest tiered patrons this month is we're going to get to play another big group game together online. Mm -hmm. Super excited about that. We got to give away our first video game to them mm -hmm. this month as well. Like there's just some really cool stuff um, when you want to hop in and be a patron, one of our patrons. So definitely recommend that for everybody listening out there. Some other things you can do is you can go to wherever you listen to this podcast and leave us a five-star review or whatever review you'd like to leave us. We'd super appreciate it. Um, in that part, you'll be able to go to Spotify, Google, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever, and listen to it and leave us a review. We'd super appreciate it. And the final thing you can do is you can go and follow us on social media. Super important. You can go and follow us on Facebook at Puzzling Company or on Instagram at Puzzling Company. Um, we'll be posting things on there when we can, and hopefully you'll be able to see all the fun and exciting things we have for you all in the future. Zach, I have a confession to make. I misled you last week. You did, yes. I was very surprised, and it wasn't the game that we talked about on last it, week's episode. I got un-mixed up with red. thought we were doing red lock. I just goofed it all up is a safe way to say it. So it will be this next week that we will be oh. doing Redlock. I know I haven't given you a good track record. I'm 0 for 1. That's 0%. Yep. Um, but I hope you believe me, and I hope the rest of you believe me out there that we will be doing Redlock next week. That's really going to wrap it up for us here at Puzzling Company in the Deadbolt Mystery Society studio. For Jared and Zach, we'll see you all next week. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.